Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome into the Saturday show, everybody. Hope you all are doing well on this Saturday morning. This is 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. My name is Jay Catch. I'm joined, as always, by Michelle Bodkin. Michelle, what is up? Oh, not much. Just enjoying some sunshine that I'm sure is probably going <laughs> to turn into a thunderstorm by the time we leave. But uh, Well, that seems to be our life recently up here, <laughs> up here in, the, in the 801. There's no doubt about that. It seems like every day I look at the, I look at the forecast, I'm like, all right, high 70s, low 80s, and then... Chance for thunderstorm. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of these days we'll have like a full sunshine day. It'll be great. Can it get here sooner rather than later? I don't know. <laughs> We're in June now. It's It feels like it's summer outside. It's been actually a phenomenal like weather pattern essentially. It's like mm-hmm. not 100 degrees. Yeah. Still plenty warm though. It's been, it's been pretty fun on that front. But nonetheless, uh, hope you all are doing well. Uh, first things first, Michelle, how has your week been? It, it was really good. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> so nerdy thing about me, okay. I grew up a huge monkeys fan. Really? Yes. Okay. Yes. Loved the monkeys as uh-huh. a kid. My mom raised me on it. Right. And, uh, the last remaining member of the band was actually in town. Okay. Uh, and put on a little concert at the Egyptian theater. So that's where I was Thursday night living my best 10 year old dreams. Hey. Uh, and actually, the second time I've seen this guy in concert. So, strangely enough, I, he is tied for the most like concerts that I've gone and seen of someone. Got it. Okay. With Ty Dollar Sign. <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> completely opposite. <laughs> Ty Dollar Sign. And what, what's the gentleman's name? Mickey Dolans. The Mickey Dolans. Those are your two. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's a. Uh, it's a vast. Like, I, uh, they they could not be more different. Yeah, but could hey, not. There you go. So, okay. So explain this to me. I don't want to get off on too much, but too big of a tangent. But final remaining living member of the monkeys. Does he still play all their old stuff? Does he play his own stuff? What does he do? Like, it, so it's kind of he uh, he plays all of their old stuff. Okay. Um, I don't think any of them really exactly went on and had solo careers. That's what I was saying. I, um, I don't recall a single one of them being like this. Breakout solo sensation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, par- partially because 
to some degree they weren't actually musicians. <laughs> they were they were yeah. manufactured to put on a TV show, um, with the exception of Michael Nesmith and Peter Tork a little bit. Sure. Um, the the other two kind of had to learn as they go, was my understanding. Okay. But uh, no, he played like all their old stuff and uh, just had some nice things to say about his fellow band member. TV cast members, okay. um, you know, just gave little anecdotes about how, how we met him, when they, when he met him, uh, their friendship through the years, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So it was really nice. He's old, though. He is, like, he's <laughs> well, very old. The monkey's been around for <clears throat> for a minute, let's just put it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. So that's fun, though. That's awesome. Like, that's, that's the fun part about like, groups that you've grown up being a fan of, actually seeing them in concert kind of... It changes the dynamic because mm-hmm. you can listen to every one of their songs that they've done and whatnot. But when you actually see them, you're like, okay, it's a little different sound to it and everything. It's kind of fun that way, though. Yeah, totally. All right. Um, okay. Is that, is that the highlight of your week? Yeah, that's the was, highlight okay, of my week. Cool. The highlight of my week is actually last night. I uh, took my wife and kids. We went out to the Bees game. Uh, it's actually Angels night, funny enough. And my wife grew up an Angels fan. So okay. uh, my kids have all their Angels gear. And my wife's like, why are you not wearing an Angels gear? I'm like, I'm not an Angels fan, so I'm not doing it. <laughs> you can't make me. Uh, but I wore my Bees gear. But um, I w- actually, and this is really funny, uh, I went to go get food, uh, as most dads do at ball games. And at, well, when I got back to our seats, my wife says, Hey, your daughter's been picked to uh, be part of the in-game promotions. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> she's like, well, this lady came by, saw your daughter, and said, "Hey, would you like to be our?" She was going to judge the cheering sections, essentially. Aww. So, uh, Tony Parks, old compatriot of ours here on the Zone, yep. he is the in-game MC. Does all of the fan experience stuff over there at Smith Ballpark. By the way, does an incredible job with it. It runs like a well-oiled machine. They they've got it down to a science. Well, uh, so when they came and got her, this is in the fifth inning, I walk up there and he looks at me, he's like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> I'm like, I swear I had nothing to do with this. I was getting food. He's like, all right, well, we caught up for a minute. It was fun. She had a great time, got introduced to the crowd and was having a good old time. So she got to pick the winning section and uh, you could tell she was having the time of her life. I saw the picture that you posted this mm-hmm. morning. Her dress is so cute with the baseballs. Yeah, yeah, that's one of her favorite dresses. When we go to the baseball games, that's what she wears. Oh, so, love it. Yeah, so fun times. Uh, good times. Uh, daughter loved it. Uh, my wife thought it was absolutely hilarious that <laughs> I was, like, of all people in that entire ballpark. Right. But fun all the same. She had a great time with it. <laughs> uh, I, I wondered how she was going to respond because she does cheer and everything, so she's not, she's not averse to doing performances in front of people, but I just wondered, like, this is a different dynamic. Yeah. on top of the of the bullpen, uh, the bullpen, the dugout, and well, she doesn't have other teammates yeah, to kind exactly. of distract from her. Sure. Yeah, all yeah. eyes are on her. Yep. Sounds like she did well, though. Yeah, no, she did a great time. And uh, the funny thing about it is, so the section that my family was sitting, in, they had so section eight, nine, and ten. I think are the, two, the three sections they had her judge. Well, she <laughs> chuckle. She she's like, all right, which one wins? And she's like, ten. My wife's like. You couldn't pick our section that we were sitting in? <laughs> no so, nepotism. So, no, no, yeah, no favoritism was shown at all, but nonetheless, it was a really fun time. So we had a good time at the ballpark. If you have not been out to uh, to Smith's Ballpark to watch a game, I'd encourage you to do so. It's a ton of fun out there. We have a great time, um, and it's, it, it's, it's, just, it's just a fun time to be out at the ballpark. That's one of my favorite things about Smith's Ballpark is it's really easy to just sit back mm-hmm. and enjoy. 
So I, I probably should make a trip because uh, once they once they move, <laughs> the chances of may, me ever going again are very very slim. It may it may not happen again. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. All right, so uh, fun times all the same. But thanks again to all of you for tuning in here on the Saturday show. Uh, I am just going to acknowledge right now I am producing and hosting today. Hopefully. He's- He's um, earning his paycheck. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sarah woke up feeling ill. I uh, gave me a call and I said, "Hey, hey, don't worry about it. We got it. I, I've done this before. I will probably do it again at some point in my career. <laughs> I spend the rest of my time here producing at this board, so I'm not um, averse to doing this. It's actually kind of like routine in a way for me because just pushing buttons and all this stuff, and I could have control of the show today." In more ways than one. Right, yes. Yes. All right, so uh, we're going to talk a lot about the NBA Finals. Uh, We did learn yesterday, Sports Illustrated put out a report, Michelle and I are going to talk about this because it could affect both Utah and BYU, and I even think Utah State might have set this up as well. Their official collectives are all set up as 501c3 organizations, which are nonprofit charities, which the donations of which are supposed to be uh, they're <clears throat> non-taxable. Mm-hmm. Well, the IRS put that on notice yesterday and may change the whole dynamic of NIL and all that stuff. We'll talk about that. Get to technical fouls five minutes of and just have a lot of fun along the way. Also, RSL getting a huge signing. The guy that uh, many people have hoped RSL could get an out-and-out striker was signed this morning. Officially got the word on that. So we got plenty to cover on that front. But without further ado, let's get to what's the big deal. Do you know who I am? No, I, I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Really? People know me. I'm very happy for you. I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books, and my apartment smells of rich mahogany. All right, starting off here, and what's the big deal today? The NBA Finals look like they may be over pretty quick here, Michelle. Last night, Denver was in Miami, obviously, for Game 4 of the NBA Finals. And uh, I thought after Game 2, when Miami beat Denver in Denver, I was like, okay, there's a chance this may be a series that pushes a little bit further. But uh, apparently, Denver said, yeah, that's that's cute you guys think that, because we're, we're just ending this. <laughs> they, they went up 3-1, and now they're a game away from winning, and they can do that Monday night at home. Yeah, uh, things are not sounding good, looking good for for Miami. I kind of found myself thinking the same thing when I noticed that uh, Miami got one in on Denver. It's like, oh, you know, like maybe we were just all a little too quick to judge. Sure. Uh, And then, yeah, seeing Denver kind of recalibrate, (laughs) regain control of the situation and obviously sitting one game away. Uh, I there is a part of me. I feel like these things are scripted a little bit. Scripted, to add, yes, to add drama. Okay. Um, so it wouldn't shock me if Miami magically <laughs> wins game five. Wins game five in order to stretch this and add some drama. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I mean the the whole point is to make some money too. But I, you know, on the other hand. I would hope that if it really is a case of Denver's just a better team, let's just accept that and move it along. Sure. Yeah, that that's the thing is the way this is playing out right now is I'm with you. The NBA would love nothing more than for this series to stretch out to six or seven games because you're right. Advertising dollars come in. You keep yourselves in the headlines just a little bit longer on into the summer. It, it carries you right in essentially to uh, – 
to NBA draft season. And that's the thing about this. But the way that Denver is playing right now, I just... <sighs> I feel like we're watching really an eight seed versus a one seed. Miami had a phenomenal run. And I was on with Ben Anderson yesterday. You obviously mm-hmm. joined us on Jake and Ben. I was filling in for Jake Scott. And we talked about this, and Ben made a very good point. He said that at some point during that Milwaukee series in particular for Miami, they completely changed how they had played essentially the rest of the season, meaning their whole style of play, really started jacking up a lot of threes and said, you know what, the only way we're going to beat Milwaukee is not to play them at their own game because they're two very similarly constructed teams where they expect to dominate you inside and really bruise and batter you. Well, they realize, you know what, Milwaukee's better at this than we are. So we're going to go out and we're going to kind of do the opposite. We're going to start hoisting up threes in large numbers. And to their credit, they kept that style going and it carried them through the entirety of the Eastern Conference. Now they're in the NBA Finals and they're going against the Denver team. And I think I mentioned this last week on this very show that the way that Denver operates is such a well-oiled machine and it's so smooth that you have a hard time doing anything that they're not essentially able to counter. And I feel like right now what we're watching is... To use the boxing analogy I used yesterday with Ben, is there Miami's throwing these combination punches, and then Denver's kind of like Muhammad Ali over there, just ducking out of the way and just kind of looking at you, shimmying and being like, "What else you got?" Yeah, I'm, I'm going to just sit here and watch you wear yourself out, yeah. and then I'll go in for the knockout blow. Yeah, it, I, I that's a good analogy. Way, way to go, Jay. Well, thank you. I, <laughs> I came up with it on the spot yesterday, and I'm just <laughs> repurposing it and repackaging it on today's show. But that's the thing about this. This Miami team's not a bad team. Uh, let me be very clear about this. They're only the second team in NBA history as an eight seed to make the finals. They followed the Knicks in 99, as most people will recall, and making a similar run through the Eastern Conference. But this Denver team, stunningly enough, First time in the finals and on the doorstep now of winning a title. And that, that's got to be very exciting if you're a Nuggets fan because the nice part is this Nuggets team is set up to make a run here, it looks like, for at least three or four more years beyond this if they, if they ultimately do clinch it, whether it's Monday night or later next week. Yeah, I, I mean, it's always, I think, fun to see new blood, which is kind yeah. of what we got this go around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, Miami's been there a few times before. Uh, but this is just a very different Miami team than I think Correct. most of us remember and recall. Uh, so it it has been fun, and it's been fun seeing you know maybe a little bit more of a scrappy team in Miami that sure may maybe like they're a good team, but do they really 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 belong there? I don't know, but. They earned their way there, mm-hmm. uh, if if that makes any kind of sense. And then, of course, it sounds like Denver has just progressively figured themselves out throughout the season, and and they're just playing at a really, really high level. Uh, and it shows. It shows yeah. that you know they're they they are on that championship level. Uh, so I think that's just kind of fun. It's it, Again, it's nice to have a little bit of a different storyline. It feels like the last little bit we've had kind of the same teams roll through. Um, and to a large degree, you're right. Yeah. Uh, so so I, I'm kind of digging the new blood here. And, you know, if it's Denver that, that gets it done and it's looking like that's probably going to be the case, uh, you know, big kudos to them. And it'll be interesting, like you said, to see uh, if they can keep that pace up and maybe win a couple more uh, sure, yeah. as they go along. 
Well, and that's the thing about this is the the big difference in this series to me in a way is the fact that Denver has always had a third guy step up, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. They had Christian Brown, obviously the former Kansas star, who won the uh, the NCAA cha- men's basketball championship a year ago and is on the cusp of winning an uh, NBA title. Uh, I think there are five other players in NBA history who have done that, Michelle, from one season winning the, the college basketball title to winning the NBA title. One of them is the great Arnie Farron, I found out. Oh, really? Yeah. So his senior year at Utah, they won the NCAA men's basketball title in the late 40s. Mm-hmm. The very next year, he goes to the Minneapolis Lakers, and they win the title. I think it was the George Mikan era, if you, mm. if you know who, that name. But yeah, he's one of like five or six guys. And the, Christian Brown could join that illustrious list coming up huh. as soon as Monday night. So kind of an interesting tidbit that brings it a little closer to home on yeah. that side of things. Uh, but... Uh, when it comes to Denver, as I mentioned, they've always had a third guy step up. It was Christian Brown in game four. Last night, it's Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon goes off, finishes with 27 points, seven rebounds, six assists. Guess what? Nobody on Miami can match that. They did have Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo go off for what they, they expect them to do. Those are their two guys. They're the complement to what Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic are. Now, do I think that Nikola Jokic is far and away the better player than Bam Adebayo? Absolutely. But you always need a quote-unquote third player to arrive, and... Miami was hoping. Tyler Hero's kind of been that third guy for them. Mm-hmm. He's been out with that broken hand. He broke it in the first round of the playoffs. The hope was that for game three, he'd be back. He's still with swelling in that hand. It's just not re- it's not recovered to the level they feel like they're capable of putting him out there, so he hasn't been able to play. So they haven't had that third piece for Miami. So they've had to rely on Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. But when you have a guy show up in the case of an Eric Gordon who goes for 27 points and he counters anything else that the Miami Heat role players had. Kevin Love had 12. Uh, Duncan Robinson, 12. Uh, let's see, Caleb Martin, 11. And Kyle Lowry, 13. None of them stepped to the level that uh, that we saw for on, that, on the Miami side of things that we saw from Denver. And I think that's a big reason why we're currently sitting there looking, okay, Monday night be, might be a coronation for the Denver Nuggets. And I think that's a good point, because when we were talking about Miami, like... Uh, overall, kind of, yeah. again, just a, a scrappy, maybe a little bit band of misfit toys sure. in yeah. a way. Um, whereas it just feels like Denver has depth and, mm-hmm. and like meaningful depth, depth, pur- yeah. purposeful depth. <laughs> um, not not like, oh, hey, like you kind of, you kind of snuck up and surprised me. I, I wasn't expecting this out of you. Like there, I think there's some expectations with the group of guys that Denver has versus Miami, mm-hmm. maybe not quite as much. Uh, and I think that's a big difference maker uh, when you have people in place that you think, uh, you know, can can kind of step up from game to game. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it's all at once. Sometimes, you know, it's a single guy. It just kind of depends on how the game goes. Uh, whereas it's maybe just a little more random <laughs> with Miami. It's it's not necessarily a night, night to night situation where you're like, oh, well, if so-and-so isn't doing so well, I think this guy will, you know, pick up the pace or, or be a problem for whoever. Um, so I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting to watch. Like I said, I am always a little bit skeptical with these seven, seven game. I I just think there's money to be made and, <laughs> and it seems like, oh, yeah. shocking. The, hey. the, the, the team that we thought was not yeah. going to manages to get one in and spread this out. Is mm-hmm. it really because 
they earned it, or is it because that's what the NBA kind of wanted? Well, and that's the thing. Uh, the NBA has created itself and become an entity that is a year-round league. We've, we all know the NFL they dominate headlines year round, even though their season really runs from September to February. But it, pretty short. It, they go; it goes for twelve months of the year. Just free agency, off season workouts. It's just they keep themselves in the headlines. And the NBA has really done a good job at creating that themselves. Obviously, we're gonna go from the NBA Finals right into NBA draft season. After that, it's the NBA Summer League, which it's a glorified exhibition series, but we make it out to be a bigger thing than it is because it's our first look at rookies who have yeah. just been drafted. Well, and everybody loves the shiny new toy. And, be, like, and being able to go to Vegas doesn't hurt, you know. No, that that doesn't <laughs> suck either. Um, at least for a weekend. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but 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 so and then and then after that, they do take a the month of August can be a little bit slow for the NBA. That's really the one month that seems to be just a little bit slower. But anymore, sometimes. <clears throat> Free agents will actually hold off on signing stuff. NBA free agency also happens right during the time that the NBA is going to summer league. They have the big signings and everything. The month of August might be a down month, but once you hit the month of September, guess what? Training camps are underway. Stars are getting traded. We saw Donovan Mitchell get traded last year in the month of September. So it just there's so much that happens. And the nice part is the NBA season is already long enough that it keeps itself going year round. And that's to your point. If you can drag this out and push it into the middle of next week, potentially, mm-hmm. what, I think game six would be Thursday night, if I'm not mistaken. Well, guess what? That keeps you in the headlines just that much longer and keeps that timeline, quote unquote, on track. For sure. For sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> call call me a conspiracy theorist. But. Michelle, the conspiracy, the NBA conspiracy <laughs> theorist over here. No, you're, but you you make a you make a good point because that's the thing about this is it, it's a huge huge deal. Now, uh, real quick, uh, also on that side of things is we are under two weeks to the NBA draft, uh, so stay tuned for all that. Ben Anderson's doing a great job with mm-hmm. his draft coverage. I do want to before we take a break here, we're going to talk about this a little bit more as today's show progresses. But another local uh, angle in terms of the sports market here. Some big news for Real Salt Lake, and I feel like this is big enough. We're going to bring it into the A block, as we call it here on today's show. Uh, Real Salt Lake has acquired 28-year-old forward uh, Christian Chicho Arango on a permanent transfer from Mexican side CF Pachuca, which is in Liga MX, on a three-year deal. Now, if that name sounds familiar to any of you who are soccer fans, he played for LAFC last year. LAFC was far and away the best team in the league. He uh, actually was an MLS MVP finalist Mm. with that team. They won the title. They won the Champions League. And he was a central part of what LAFC did last year. Now, he went into the offseason hoping to get a long-term deal, stick with LAFC. They felt like they uh, didn't necessarily have the funds, I guess, the way I read it, to keep him there. Uh, So then they ended up selling him to Pachuca down there in Liga MX, where he's been playing for the last six-ish months. And now Real Salt Lake brings in a star striker. This is a guy, and I've done enough RSL pre-half and post-game shows with Spencer Warren and Lauren Beck and Tom Hackett, and we'll do another one tonight out there. And uh, the way I understand it is you could see uh, Chicho Arango uh, introduced to the fans tonight at that game for Real Salt Lake. But we've talked about the fact that RSL has needed just an out-and-out striker. They need a guy who can just go back goals at a prodigious rate. This is a guy who averaged 35 goals, so almost wow. almost half a goal every time he stepped on the field. And that's, I know that sounds like we should be. That's actually a really good rate. Yeah. 35 goals, 58 appearances across two years for LAFC. This dude can bag goals, and RSL has not had a guy who can tally that many goals in a two-season period since. Alvaro Sabarillo and when did Sabo hang it up? Twenty 
2013, 2014, somewhere in that oh, range. Is it really that it's long? It's been a minute. Yeah. Wow. Oh, man. I thought we were still talking about him. <laughs> well, we, no, we, we, we are still talking about him, Michelle, because... Yeah, because of the comparison. Yeah. But I like I thought he was still playing up he, until a little more recently well, he, than no, that. He, he was. He, okay. He's been playing down in Costa Rica. Okay. Sabo's been still been playing. He just... His time with Real Salt Lake drew to a close, oh, okay. kind of mid. Uh, I was maybe maybe stretched into 2015. If Trey Fitzgerald is is listening this morning, I'm sure I'll, I'll get a, I'll get a text very quickly <laughs> to to fill me in on that. But that's the thing about this when you're still talking about Asabo being the last star striker for Real Salt Lake. Yeah, it kind of means it's been a minute. Yeah, well, I I mean, you guys have talked a lot about you know. Real Salt Lake's had some issues scoring. Uh, they'll get really hot for a second, and then it just dries up. So it sounds like uh, maybe they're getting the shot in the arm that they need in order to be a little more consistent getting goals and scoring and, and keeping themselves in the mix of things rather than kind of just dropping off. Okay, so I looked it up. 2015 is when he left Real Salt Lake. He he went to D.C. United from there, spent through 2016 with D.C. United. Uh, Since then, he's been playing for Saprissa, San Carlos, and a couple other uh, teams down there in Costa Rica. Now, Michelle, he made 100 appearances for, excuse me, 127 appearances for Real Salt Lake during his time with the Claret and Cobalt. During that time, do you know how many goals he scored in the 127 appearances? Okay, so if we're saying 35 goals for Chicho Orango, yes, in two years, mm-hmm. and we're saying this that is this is a six, comparison, this is sixish year. So this is about he came to Real Salt Lake on loan in 2010, signed a permanent transfer, and spent from 2011 to 2015 with Real Salt Lake. 127 appearances means 127 matches he played for Real Salt Lake. Any idea on how many goals he scored? It's north of 50. I'll give you that. I'll yeah, that I was going to say like 98. Uh, would be a grand total of 63. Okay. Across 127 matches. So if you do the math, that's about that's about the the rate that Chicho Arango has been scoring goals. Chicho has been scoring at a pretty higher rate during mm-hmm. his time with LAFC. And ultimately, it's going to take until he takes the fills for Real Salt. Like, he actually can't uh, officially complete the transfer <clears throat> until the transfer window opens on July 5th. So we are still a little bit away from him ultimately playing playing for Real Salt Lake. But the hope is that he can get into the side for Real Salt Lake, bolster them in the back half of the season, and if he can score goals like he did at the rate he did previously, be a pretty good spot. Uh, it would actually give RSL more of an offensive punch because, as you mentioned, there have been times they've been very, very good offensively, but they, also had, they had a... 300 plus minute scoreless streak at one point in the season already yeah Yeah. uh trust me i've seen the angry tweets (laughs) on my twitter line despite not really covering watching or following rsl so uh i'm very well aware that people have not been happy uh with the product at times and understandably so uh i mean scoring at this level is hard Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't happen a lot, a lot. Yeah. I, I mean, when you talk about someone scoring like three goals and saying that that's like that's a high scoring game is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but problematic when you're not even you know, you're not getting any, yeah, <laughs> like no. not even one. Well, so, so I just did the math on it. So uh, Sabo for his entire time at RSL, 
0.49 goals uh, essentially that was about half a goal every time it was it was he get one every two games essentially if he if I know that doesn't make sense but that's kind of the rate that he was scoring at Chicho Arango during his 58 appearances with LAFC is 0.60 so he's just north of a half a goal every time he steps so this is this is a big opportunity for Real Salt Lake. So we'll continue to break this down. I'm sure, of course, we'll probably have a big topic of tonight's pregame show, pre-match show on right here on The Zone as get you ready for Real Salt Lake taking on NYCFC. Uh, should be fun to uh, hear a little bit. I'm actually excited to hear Spenno's um, thoughts on this because he's been just begging, begging to have RSL go out and get a forward of this caliber. And, We'll see what no, he has to no, say. they got it. Yeah. Should be happy. Yeah, should be fun. All right. Uh, we will take a time out here. We'll come back on the other side. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the IRS has put collectives on notice uh, per Ross Dellinger and Sports Illustrated. I read this last night uh, doing some show prep. Very interesting comments, albeit not necessarily unexpected, if that makes sense. We'll get to more of that next. This is the Saturday show right here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Three, two, one. It's the ninth annual Top 60 and 60. Get your college football fix every day at 1.30 as the zone counts you down to the start of the 2023 season. By listing off the top 60 players in the state of Utah as voted on by the local media and you, the fans. You'll also hear from the coaches as they talk about the players that will impact their season the most. It's the Top 60 and 60, weekdays at 1.30, presented by Five Star Painting. On your home of the best college football coverage in Utah, 97.5 The KSL Sports Zone. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Michelle Bodkin, Jay Catch, breaking things down here on a Saturday we typically do. Hope you all are doing well out there wherever you're tuning in from. No guys like Clint Pete, Ryan Hancock, a number of you out there are regulars. I've seen a bunch of you already weighing in. Uh, Clint has some good, good ones he already sent in uh, <laughs> regarding your monkey, uh, your, you being a fan of the monkeys. Yep. So. Kind of fun that way, but a uh, big thank you to all of you for tuning in. He also did say, I think uh, Tony should have picked Jacob C. Hatch to be in the fruit race. No, I wouldn't even made it around, you know, left field. <laughs> oh, come on, Jake. Uh, it's that, that's a long run. Have you, have you, you've been out to the Smith's Ballpark. Mm-hmm. You've seen that fruit race. Mm-hmm. They went a long way. 
I'm actually I was kind of disappointed last night because a lot of times because the, the opposing bullpen is on that the home stretch, uh-huh. and usually the opposing bullpen players will literally get off their like chairs and everything, and will actually go on the opposite side of where the mound is and force the fruit people to go up and over that mound, which inevitably it feels like at least one person. Yeah, someone trips and misjudge eats it. it. <laughs> they didn't do it last night. The Round Rock guys just kind of sat there and watched them. Like, and to, to the fruit racers, I guess we call them. <laughs> I don't know what we necessarily call them. The, the participants, I should say. Uh, to their credit, uh, they all did go up up and over the mound, but they easily could have avoided that because they just they didn't ri- they didn't ring them in. So kind of huh. fun. But nonetheless, uh, the carrot actually came on strong last night and won. So well. Carrots are great for your eyes. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, no, it's just kind of funny because the, there was a guy who the grape is the one who got out to like a really big leap, and this carrot guy was just just close, super, super strong. So okay, wow, it's always kind of a fun thing. I enjoy watching those things go down. <laughs> All right, uh, Michelle. So uh, you and I obviously we cover a lot of college sports in the state. Of course, you being the Utah insider for KSLSports.com. I've got my own podcast covering all things BYU, Locked On Cougars. Uh, read this last night, but Ross Dellinger put this out for Sports Illustrated. He does a really good job covering all things college uh, football and college sports at a national level. And the headline says this. The IRS, the Internal Revenue Service, who is essentially never going to not let you pay the money they think they, they owe you, oh, yeah. uh, says donations made to nonprofit NIL collectives are not tax-exempt. Your reaction, go. I mean, I'm not surprised. The, the IRS isn't going to just let that go. You mean we're going to let high-powered people who have millions of dollars of, of money just put this into a charitable cause, quote-unquote, and let it be tax-exempt? Yeah, no. Not, not without looking into it closely. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I'm not shocked. And I think the, the honest ones... Mm-hmm. that set some of these up, I think they're very well aware sure. that, that that was going to come down the pipeline. And, you know, I it's going to be interesting to see what happens, how this ha- is handled, what ultimately, you know, comes down with this. But I think the ones, you know, that had good intentions with it when, when they designed the concept are probably fine and prepared sure. for it. Yeah, they're going to have to pivot a little bit probably. Um, but... Some of the other ones that thought that they were like literally going to get away with murdering someone, uh, they might be in for a world of hurt. Yeah, so according to a memo that was released yesterday from the Office of the IRS Chief Counsel, uh, donations made to nonprofit NIL collectives, quote, are not, are, are not tax-exempt, unquote, because the benefits they provide college athletes are, quote, not incidental both qualitatively and quantitatively to any exempt purpose, unquote. This is, I, and here's the thing. You said we should be surprised at this. No, we shouldn't be because in this article by Ross Dellinger in particular, let's see, let me find this right here. Jason Belzer, who uh, he's a, been a big advocate out there with regards to, uh, it's called Student Athlete. He's the co-founder of Student Athlete NIL who manages several for-profit collectives has been one of the loudest critics of nonprofit collectives saying this, quote, I think it's a bad business model. I've been long on the record to say the majority of collectives are doing it as a way that is disingenuous. They're using it as a way to get a tax write-off to pay student-athletes. The IRS may grant it, then come back a year later and say, what the bleep is going on? <laughs> the kid promoting this charity is driving around the Mercedes and tweeting about how great this charity is, question mark? He's not wrong. He's not wrong. He's not, and that that is 1,000%... I think the way a lot a lot of the ones that were designed in this way sure. probably 
exactly envisioned how this was going to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but I, I do think I do think there are some that that the intent, and I I kind of think the ones that are based here in our state, just because again I've talked a lot about there's just expectations here mm-hmm. uh, with our our student athletes, our pro athletes. Um, you're a part of the community. You're a part of the community, and, and so I I think <laughs> the ones in Utah were probably really genuinely built around. We have these expectations, and, sure. and we plan on following through with that. I, but not everybody went into into that plan mm-hmm. with that mindset. Um, it I it. Probably a lot of them could be classified as like money laundering, funneling, um, some kind of shady stuff. A front, a front. Yes. Uh, So it's it's just very very interesting, and it's going to be interesting to see how the Royal Blue Collective and the Crimson Collective, and and possibly I'm not as familiar with Utah State still. The Big Blue Um, Collective is what they call it, the Blue A Collective. I have to look at that. But, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they may have to pivot, you know, what they they decided was the game plan. Uh, I don't think it's ultimately going to change, like, the expectations for them as far as mm-hmm. how you go about getting this money, but as far as the actual business setup, I, I'm not entirely sure what they're going to do. I would imagine, at least on the Crimson Collective side, um, that they probably saw this coming down the pipeline. They're very smart, savvy business people. Yeah. Um, I I don't know as much, again, about BYU's, but I would have to imagine they probably saw this coming down the pipeline, too, uh, and possibly have a backup plan in place. Well, let, let me insert this. I do think, yeah, as you mentioned, the Clemson and the Royal Blue Collectives, which are the officially endorsed collectives of the University of Utah, as well as Brigham Young University, respectively. You're right. Both of them, they took their time building these collectives, by the mm-hmm. way, as well. So I'm with you. I, I think that they have both, to their credit, been smart about looking at that, saying, okay, we're going to set it up as a 501c3, but if we need to pivot, I'm sure they've got a plan to pivot out of it. Now, I will also acknowledge this. What the Crimson Collective and the Royal Blue Collective in particular, because I've I've talked to people who are associated with both, is they both have very much integrated charitable causes into what they're doing with it. Mm -hmm. For example... The Royal Blue Collective, not that long ago, I would say not even more than a, two weeks ago, had a large number of BYU student-athletes. Men's basketball, I saw women's basketball, I think it's track, BYU football. Players were at Tabitha's Way in American Fork. Yeah. Uh, putting together uh, all kinds of stuff. They put together meal kits, uh, all kinds of different things. That's the type of stuff that IRS comes and looks at it and says, okay, you claim you're a charity – What's yeah, going well, on? Well, what charitable things are you doing? And that that's stuff you can quant like the quantitative and the qualitative. Like you, that's the type of stuff you're going to point to with that. Does that ultimately mean that the IRS is not going to say this is? Yeah, we're still not doing this. <laughs> this ain't it. And, I'm sure they will pivot. Yeah, but I think that bull. And I, I'm just saying that that's that's just the, the royal blue collective. I because I I've got intimate knowledge of what they were doing that day with that. I know the Crimson Collective has set up a similar circumstance because mm-hmm. you're right. You have a very good point that in our community here, we expect our student athletes to adhere to a little bit higher of a stand a standard. community standard. Yeah. You're, we expect you to be a good citizen. Yeah. 
in and, this community. And we expect you to do things. Like, yeah. So that's the thing. I think that both of these collectives I'm speaking of BYU and Utah's, I think that they, they're, yeah, they're not a money laundering I, front. I, I think the intentions <laughs> are good with those two collectives. Yeah. Can I speak to every other collective set up that way in the country? No. Uh, yeah. uh. Well, and that's the thing about this. So uh, Matt Brown, obviously, uh, a guy that I think is, is really, really smart about how he goes about things, that writes his newsletter, um, Extra Points. Uh, he has but uh, this little string on Twitter. There was one part as I really thought was interesting to it. I think collectives, and you can go read this, Matt Brown EP on Twitter if you're on that social media platform. It says, I think uh, many collectives can transition to an LLC not-for-profit model without too much of an issue, so long as they're prepared to actually fundraise like a real organization. Most small donors are taking the standard deduction anyway, so they wouldn't need the tax write-off. He's he, Essentially, he's saying that the... Joe Blow fan who's been putting money into these collectives, they're already in your taxes when you meet with your CPA, if you do it yourself via the internet, you have a standard write-off the IRS already gives you. Mm-hmm. Most people, yours truly included, I don't think you're the, you think you're in a similar boat, Michelle, we're not going to be going beyond that standard write-off for charitable donations. Yeah. They're looking at this from the IRS perspective at some of these people who are multi-multi-millionaires who are essentially saying, you mean I can write off millions of dollars on those taxes that Uncle Sam won't be able to touch by doing this? Yeah, go Let's ahead. Take my money. <laughs> like So I think the IRS is looking at this, and they're, they're going after a smaller pool, if that makes sense, of people mm-hmm. out there. But it's a pool of people that have got a gigantic ocean of wealth, to use that analogy. And that... that this will be interesting to see how this all shakes out, but I've got some thought that, yes, the IRS is going to look at every one of these collectives that were start, set up as a 501c3. Oh, and, 1,000%. And, and Matt did mention this in his string. He does say this. Um, the uh, the idea the IRS would eventually rule that NIL collectives couldn't actually be 501c3 nonprofits isn't new or radical. It just uh, wasn't uh, this Jacob, uh, Jason Belzer screaming about this. Lots of lawyers and CPAs talked about it. ADs talked about it. He said even I talked about it. The risk was well known. But he says this, if so many experts knew the IRS's regulatory change was a possibility, why did so many collectives try to establish themselves as a 501c3? Well, it's a way to write off lots of money if, you, if you're fabulously wealthy mm-hmm. i get why they did this yeah it, it was an effort to get people on board because there have been at least in utah mm-hmm. uh there's been a lot of people grumbling about well i pay for tickets and <laughs> i have to pay my crimson club or royal blue membership and blah 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 and this and that and now you want me <laughs> <laughs> to do this too. Well, if you get a tax write off for it, all of a sudden paying that money is not such a big deal to it these looks people. So, like, and that's the thing, <laughs> I can understand completely why like, anybody was like, hold on. And, like, trust me, if I was a person who was blessed with that much wealth and I was looking, okay, either I can be taxed on this money or I can benefit a university that in many ways probably set me up to do what I do that helped me grow this wealth, whatever it might have been. And you're like, Hold on. I can benefit this organization, this athletic program, this athletic department, and at the same time avoid a heftier tax bill from Uncle Sam? Yeah, help myself as well. Why not? Where's the downside to that? 
I, I mean, when when the IRS decides, nah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the, therein lies the problem. Um, I did look this up. The Blue Way Collective up at Utah State, mm-hmm. which they announced recently, uh, it does say in their thing, the collective has filed an application with the Internal Revenue Service to operate as a 501c3 as well. So the Blue A Collective will also be under the microscope on this side of things. But as, uh, as Matt mentions, and I'm going to make a phone call here in the break and see if we might be able to get him on to talk about this, I, I think that... He's right about them being able to pivot to a nonprofit that you have to fundraise, essentially, Mm -hmm. where, in essence, you'd be operating like a lot of athletic departments fundraising arms already are. It just it changes the dynamic a little bit because, yes, some of these big name donors who are so happy to be like, "Okay, how much do you need? Yeah. Like because for them, it's there's little to no downside under the way that things were looking. Now, could the IRS pivot back and say, you know what? You know, they might. I I don't know. I haven't looked into this too, too much just yet. But, I mean, they could go case by case. Mm -hmm. Um, If if you really do have it set up legitimately, if you really can point to you're doing these charitable things, uh, you know, they might be cool with it. Yes. Uh, But... If you can prove it, yes. If if you can get the IRS to sign off that you are truthfully a charitable organization and you can keep that 501c3 status, if they they put the rubber stamp on it, keep doing what you're doing. But, again, those of you that thought, uh, you know, I'm just going to set up this money funneling laundering (laughs) front, I'm going to make it look like, but in reality, like, we don't do anything charitable. It's just a way to get our student athletes money and also benefit our donors that are donating this money, uh, you know, without putting in the work that you say you're putting in, um, that that's just a completely different story. Well, and that's the thing about it is it, 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 there are going to be certain ones of these that there were the early adopters, if that makes sense. They, mm-hmm. they jumped in, essentially set it up, and were like, "Yeah, this the, the IRS is going to say, okay, this is a front. Yeah, you guys come are, on, you're, come on, you're, guys. you're laundering money, you're getting away with it. This one, either you're going to pay up or you're going to have to change your model. I am curious because we already talked about this. The Crimson, I know of that. You're, you've been talking about that. I, the Royal Blue Collective for BYU, where they're already requiring their athletes who are part of this to go out and do some of these charitable causes. It may Pass the sniff test. Who knows? Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, the IRS could also just be like, look, we don't want to mess with this. So y'all got to you might be running honestly, but like we don't want to sit here and have to babysit you uh, year in and year out and make sure that you are doing what you say you're doing. So let's all just pivot over to this other model. Yeah. Um. Because we just don't have the time and the resources, yes. which was also a point that Matt Brown made, mm-hmm. uh, that why why bother doing this if you knew it was coming down the pipeline? Well, uh, the IRS is notoriously slow well, and the, at, at getting, yeah. getting at things. So, like, yes, the, I mean, they've said, we're looking into this, and oh, we don't know if this is terribly kosher, but the time between saying that and actually doing something about it uh, could be a while. Yeah, and that's the thing about this. He did say this. Uh, quote, well, the IRS's backlog like backlog like crazy with enforcing anything takes a while. The responsibility to oversee nonprofits also often falls on the state AG offices, the attorney general offices. Many collectives that their AG, bet that their AG wouldn't ever want to seriously investigate a group supporting good old state U. He's not wrong. 
Mm-hmm. That's political suicide in certain circumstances. Yeah. So crazy, crazy stuff. Um, just got a text back. Matt is going to join us. We'll do that coming up here in just a minute. We're actually get his thoughts on this. We'll let him kind of explain about that. So let's take a break here. We'll come back on the other side. This is the Saturday show on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Wherever you go, the zone will be right there with you every step of the way. It's the all-new KSL Sports app. I love it. Where you can listen to the zone wherever you may be. Listen to me, this stuff is available everywhere. It's your new home for streaming the zone and getting all the latest news, insight, and analysis of the teams you can't live without. It's the all-new KSL Sports app. Available now wherever you shop for apps. If you're coming from the street with dirty shoes on your feet, that's a technical foul. If you switch the radio to some modern music show, that's a technical foul. If you touch the thermostat, you'll get hit with a bat. Cause that's a technical foul. You will feel my wrath. That's a technical foul. Personal file, 69, office. He was giving them the business. A technical foul. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. As you heard, it is time for technical fouls. Just a little programming note. Matt Brown from Extra Points is going to join us next segment. Uh, reached out to him and said, let's do it. So we're going to have him on coming up. Uh, so let's get to technical fouls before we get to that. Michelle, where are you going to start this week? Yeah, so interesting headline this week uh, was shared on Twitter a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, former Seattle Seahawks offensive lineman Russell Okun uh, talking about his weight loss. And yeah. I think most of us know, you know, when you're an offensive lineman or even a defensive lineman, those guys, after they finish playing, a lot of them lose weight mm-hmm. and, and get very shredded, um, which is fine. Like, I, I, for most people, I don't think there's any reason why you really need to be 300 pounds. No. Um, uh, but the the kicker here is how he went about it. Fasting for 40 days with nothing but water. Mm-hmm. And it's just dangerous. It is. It's dangerous. It's not a healthy way to go about losing that kind of weight. Uh, and I feel like when you are someone, a public figure, like people, look to you for stuff like that and okay you know maybe you had a bunch of people watching over you looking looking in on you making sure that you were good while you did this but average joe blow isn't going to have those resources sure and you have to know that someone's going to try this well, and it, it, it's it's encouraging disordered eating, which is a dangerous. said it's a dangerous thing to it. It causes issues. Let's put it that way. It does cause issues, and I feel like you know what we talk about that a lot with women, and especially mm-hmm. looking at like the modeling and acting industries. Uh, we don't talk about it a lot with males in like the sports industry. Still a thing, though, big time. Very much a thing. Um, yeah. So phenomenal weight loss. Probably not the best method to go about it. No. Because as you mentioned, he's got a team of people around him making sure that everything's hunky-dory. Yeah. I I think there should have been a big disclaimer (laughs) on that, and there wasn't. Yeah, no doubt. Um, All right, Michelle, I'm going to bring one close to home for you. Is that okay? Oh, of course. Reggie Fowler. that trigger you at all? Hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, he originally attempted to buy the Vikings from Red McCombs in 2005. Before becoming a minority owner, received a prison term in excess of six years for his role in a $70 million cryptocurrency scheme. The 64-year-old Fowler was given a sentence of 75 months. He must forfeit $740 million and pay $53 million in restitution. Uh, prosecutors have contended that Fowler lied to Alliance of American Football Executives. Mm-hmm. This goes back to you were part of this. Uh, when he uh, claimed to control sufficient resources to financially, which imploded during its only season in 2019. U.S. Attorney Damian Williams said Damian Williams said Fowler, quote, victimized the AAF by lying about his net worth in exchange for a substantial portion of the league, unquote. Uh, his attorney expressed remorse on Fowler's behalf, but he will serve upwards of six years in a federal penitentiary for his role in that. Yeah, that's that's not enough. I mean, the damage this guy caused did a lot. Yeah. Uh, just, I just, uh, there's so many stories I could tell. I, and directly, directly with the stallions. Uh, So we ended up staying two extra or an extra month in San Antonio because we had no place to come back to, um, no facility Mm -hmm. to host our guys while we practiced. Yeah. Like we played at Rice Eccles Stadium, but like we couldn't keep our stuff there. Sure. Uh, so Reggie Fowler told us, well, just hang back in San Antonio for an extra month, um, and we will build you a facility out of shipping containers. And I have the hookup. I have the plug. Okay. It never got done. Got it. Never got done. Um, I, like, it was half of what he said it would be. (laughs) And, And so we just had this janky system yeah uh to operate out of just very very interesting and like i said that ended up being the least of the bad lies he told uh <laughs> it came out that like the af almost was canceled the day after christmas that year yeah um because one of his accounts got locked down mm-hmm. because of this thing that the that he is in, deal, yeah. that he is in trouble for, uh, and then he ended up opening up a different account, so it carried on. But I almost got told I didn't have a job the day after Christmas in 2018. Jeez, just I, myself and everybody else involved with this uh, because of Reggie Fowler. But you know what? Shame on Ebersol too, Charlie Ebersol, yeah. because this guy had. A previous record. There's a reason why he was no longer part of the Minnesota Vikings Mm -hmm. in ownership. Yep. And it's because he lied to them about how much money he had. So why you would get involved with this guy in the first place, beyond me. But, you know, alas, here we are. (laughs) Yeah, I figured that one would... Would be a good one for technical fouls because yeah, you're. I'm with you. I don't think necessarily the 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 punishment doesn't actually fit the crime, but hey, nonetheless, he's being punished for it. So. He ruined he ruined a lot of lives. Yeah, he did. He messed a lot of stuff up. There's no doubt about that. All right, we'll come back on the other side. Uh, Matt Brown from Extra Points, his new letter newsletter will join us to talk about what's going on with these IRS collectives. That's coming up next, right here on the Saturday Show. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 